So from Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And at verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Morning. And in the words of Paul, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I was hoping for an un also with you there, but you know, <laughs> clearly not awake. Let's hope we wake up uh, as we go. <laughs> as we look at these words from Paul's letter, we need to remind ourselves that these aren't just any words. These are God-inspired words, God-breathed words written initially to teach, encourage, and challenge this young church in Colossae, but also written to us, to speak to us 2,000 years later. God-inspired words. Paul begins this letter by addressing it to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And I was wondering, I wonder who those people were. I mean, It does say God's holy people, so surely it must be the vicars and the church leaders and the full-time Christian workers. Well, let's squash that myth first. God's holy people is everyone who has chosen to follow Jesus and call him their Lord. Even if they don't feel holy, even if they're not doing it brilliantly, In fact, nobody can do it perfectly. So it includes us. We can't rule ourselves out. If we have responded to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus, then we are God's holy people. Hopefully, that's most of us here. Notes that I was reading on this passage suggest that at the time Paul wrote, Colossae was a town of faded glory. I quite liked that. I mean, it's a bit like Sturchley is up and coming. Colossae had become a town of faded glory. It had been very important, being on a a kind of major route, but somebody moved the roads, and it meant it was no longer on that major route. The majority of the, the people living there would have just been ordinary men and women scraping a living 
farming crops, looking after sheep, dyeing wool, selling wool, working in textiles. Some would even have been slaves. So this letter was written to farmers, shopkeepers, textile workers, slaves, the, these people who were called to be fruitful whilst working and providing for themselves, their families and others in need. Today we could say it's addressed to the retirees, like myself, to the carers, to the IT workers, to the health workers, to the unemployed, to the administrators, to the business owners. I'm sure I haven't included everybody here, but it's written to you too. It's for everyone. So this morning we start a new series, Fruitfulness on the Front Line. And this is supposed to be an introduction to that series, the title, The, the Big Picture. Next week, I think Ben and Susan are going to be exploring the fruitfulness part of it. But we're thinking about the front line. Why fruitfulness on the front line? And we're going to come back to that thought. Have you ever longed to make a difference? I know when I first became a Christian, it was great to know that I was right with God. I experienced lots of healing and in emotional things in my life. I knew that I was loved and valuable to somebody, to Jesus. And I knew that Jesus was with me always, that I wasn't on my own. But one of the things that excited me wasn't just that feeling of of belonging, but it was the idea that I could make a difference. I had a sense of purpose, the thought that my life could count. As to be said, back in the 80s, when I became a Christian, it often felt that the only important way to make a difference was through personal evangelism, sharing the gospel and seeing somebody coming to faith. I have been fortunate enough to be able to do that a couple of times. And it is a huge privilege when you share the gospel with someone and see the change in them. But if that were the only fruit that mattered to God, I'd be like a plum tree with just a few random plums on it, not even enough to make a jar of jam. There's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more to living this life worthy of the Lord, as Paul put it in some of the verses earlier on that we didn't read. So let's look at these beautiful verses that Kate read to us in verses 15 to 20 and see what we can learn about what does matter to God. In verse 15, we are told that Jesus reveals God the Father to us Or as the message version puts it, we look at this son and we see the God who cannot be seen. And Jesus was the firstborn over all creation. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all that has been created. Jesus is Lord of all. And then Jesus, the creator, entered the created world. And we see in the Gospels his lordship over creation 
when he walked the earth, the calming of the sea, bringing Lazarus back to life. Often when I read these verses in Colossians, I can get a little bit distracted pondering the invisible thrones, the powers, the rulers and authorities, and, and dwelling on what is going out there in the, in the spiritual world. And that's not unimportant. There is a spiritual realm, and we mustn't neglect, as we are exhorted in Ephesians 6, to be prepared for the spiritual battle that is a part of walking with Jesus. But as well as the spiritual realms, all visible things, the tangible things, have been created through him and for him too. Everything began in Jesus and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all up together at this, right up to this very moment. And therefore, I don't think it's too much of a leap to say that all things matter to Jesus. He is interested in every aspect of what he has made because he is the ruler, the agent, the goal and the sustainer of all creation. I serve in quite a few different ways at Christchurch. You might get a bit fed up of seeing me, I suppose. I preach and I lead... <laughs> that wasn't very convincing. I preach and I lead services. I'm on the intercessions and the welcome rotors, and I cook for the weekly lunch club. And on Tuesday, I'll be doing my monthly gardening on the grounds. I wonder what the order would be if I were to draw up a list in order of importance. What about if Ben were to do the ordering of my different contributions to the church? Is preaching more important than weeding? And even if you said no, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that preaching isn't more important than weeding. I wonder how Jesus sees it. We know that the church matters to Jesus. We read in the passage in verse 18 that he is the head of the body, the church. The church, as a body of Christ, is a common biblical picture. It's hard, I think, to grasp the meaning of all that we've said. Hang on, I've just got a feeling I've gone wrong. Oh, yeah, I have. I've missed a page. That's what happens. I'm trying to save paper and print on both sides, but I have to remember which side I'm on. <laughs> Sorry. You nearly lost a whole page. <laughs> right, we were talking about the body, weren't we? The church as the body of Christ. Different parts with different functions, all meeting and all needing each other and all needing to play their part for the body to function well. So I'm confident that Jesus doesn't value what I do to serve on a Sunday above what I do to serve in the week. He doesn't value what I do up front more than what I do behind the scenes. But even more than that, 
He doesn't value my serving at church any more than my serving in other parts of my day-to-day life. But we're going to come back to that. In verse 19 to 20, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus, that is, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you, and I'm likely to tear up, because I can't tell you how much it means to me to be reconciled to God through Jesus' death and resurrection. I can still remember what it was like to not know Jesus. And my life has been transformed. We're talking, I know, 35 years ago. But my life has been transformed by that reconciliation. And I absolutely love it when I see others make peace with God through Jesus. But do you notice, it doesn't say that God was pleased to reconcile to himself all people. But instead, it says all things are reconciled through the cross. Because the whole of creation matters to God. And we are on really dodgy ground when we start to classify things as either holy and sacred and everything else just as everyday life. In separating out between holy and ordinary, we reduce God's creation and the supremacy of Jesus to much less than he intended. And this is the beautiful big picture the fullness of god revealed in jesus the supremacy of jesus as creator and sustainer of all that is created the forming of the church as one body with jesus as the head and the reconciling work of jesus through the cross it's beautiful and it's hard to grasp the meaning of it all Yet we still need to ask that question, so what? What difference does it make to how I live my everyday life? I did say I was going to come back to two things. Firstly, why front lines? And secondly, whether what we do outside of the church is really as important as what we do in or in our home group or in our personal times with God. Does the secular stuff matter as much as the sacred let's look at the second one first god's mission is about all things not just some things god has a desire to transform all things god will reconcile all things through christ at the end of time as i was preparing i I read this The work of Jesus has changed things for everything and for everyone. There is nothing he didn't create, nothing that he doesn't hold together, nothing that will not be reconciled. And so people's workplaces come into this. It's always easy to see that the work that involves people is worthwhile. After all, God loves people. But there's more. 
There is creativity and beauty. So the work of painters and decorators and chefs matter to God. There is order. So IT consultants and mechanics find that their work matters to God. And there is the work that allows others to thrive, accountants and therapists. Your work matters to God and your retirement and whatever else you do with your lives. Let's think a bit more about the idea of front lines. I think Ben said the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity describes it as the place where we meet fairly regularly with people who don't know Jesus. For many, that will be a place of work. But for others, it could be a wide range of places where we volunteer, a group we socialise with or do activities with, interactions with families and friends. I want to read you a couple of short examples from Mark Green's book. And I would say... Well, I don't know if Pete's finished with it yet. In two weeks' time, I'd be happy to lend the book to anybody who wants it. I do recommend it, actually. And Michael's bought it, and he was saying he's read the first couple of characters and finds it quite encouraging. I was looking on Eden, the Christian online bookshop. It's about £8, but you can get it for about £4 secondhand. Let me tell you about Ed. Ed works in a factory. He's bored He's been praying for a new job for two years. He really wants to do something for God. Become a worship leader, perhaps. Ed thinks his mission is somewhere else. And because he thinks his mission is somewhere else, he's not really thinking about how he could be fruitful for God where he is. Chris has just turned 60 and is involved in her local church. She's had arthritis for over 30 years. Painful, limiting, confidence sapping. And for a good amount of that time, Chris has needed hydrotherapy sessions at the local swimming pool. And she hasn't really been thinking about how God might want to work through her. But one day, Ed realised that if God wasn't going to give him a new job, maybe he had something he wanted him to do right where he was. And he began to see what that was. He started to get in a bit earlier for his shift and looked for ways to bless people, befriend people and pray for them. And over time he saw God working. And one day Chris realised that she had a front line, a place of ministry and mission. And it was with the people that she met at the hydrotherapy pool, the people she'd got to know over many years people with whom she'd had something significant in common, people she actually got into the pool with, people that God had uniquely gifted her to reach. Her illness no longer made her a victim, but it gave her a ministry. I've had an allotment for a long time, and and since peace, my husband has retired, he's uh, been getting into it as well. I think it's one of my front lines. I'd like it to be more of one. I'd like it to become more of a community where people know each other and where there aren't any outsiders. I'd like to see the whole site better maintained 
and managed in ways that please our creator God. And I want to cultivate our plot well without chemicals and removing the bits of plastic waste we find every time we dig, as well as wanting to get a good harvest. I'm hoping that's going to be come more and more of a front line, a place where God might use me. Warm welcome will be starting again soon. Some might be able to see that as a front line, a place where they can deliberately think about how God might want to use them to bring his kingdom into that place and into people's lives. Over the next few weeks, we'll be considering in practical ways how we can be more intentional about living as disciples of Jesus in the places that God has put us and how we can be more fruitful in those areas, the places that we are calling our front lines. And spoiler alert, it's not all about personal evangelism and sharing the gospel with someone. Paul prays for the Colossian church that they would live lives worthy of the calling. What difference might it make if we were to live for God with God's help on our front lines in those places where God has put us? wherever it is that we find ourselves regularly in the company of those who don't know the reconciliation that Jesus brings.